So for this new series, we're going to be looking at the tensions, the paradoxes that rule our lives. And we're going to start with the big one, the, the tension between life and death. We value life so much, we'll do anything to, to preserve it, to protect it, to cling to life, and to try to stave off death uh, as long as possible, or at least any of the impacts of death. And, and I know that's true because my wife was just telling me this weekend about how cheap Botox has gotten. Uh, we really want to stave off death. And yet, if we cling to life at all costs, I think what we'll find is that life becomes ultimately empty and meaningless, and the attempt itself is doomed to failure. And I'll give you a real quick example from the business world. This comes from Simon Sinek. He's a speaker. And he talks about two different companies. One company is Eastman Kodak. Uh, You all have probably heard of Kodak. They were founded in 1888. And Kodak did not invent photography. Photography had been around. uh, But it was complicated and expensive and required technical skill to take a photograph. And so pictures were rare uh, and, and something you only did when you had money to afford it. But then Kodak came along and they invented this process called film instead of the old plates. And, and, and they made it so that you could have a, every family could have a camera. Everybody could take a picture. And they took this thing that had been rare and expensive and, and, and most people didn't have access to and they made it accessible to the whole world. In fact, they changed a lot of our language. This concept of a, a snapshot, that's a word that Kodak made up, snapshot, because before then it was anything but a snap. Uh, or they talked about making things a Kodak moment, right, that, that became a part of the cultural lexicon. Your ads were everywhere. Uh, in fact, they were so hip, so cool, so part of it that pop singers would write songs about Kodak products. You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys remember Paul Simon and Kodachrome? Because everything looks worse in black and white. But Kodachrome gives us the nice bright colors, gives us the greens of summers, makes you think all the world's a sunny day. Oh, yeah. Mama, don't take Paul Simon's Kodachrome away. By 1976, Kodak had 90% market share. 90% of all film that was sold anywhere in the world was sold by Kodak. And 85% of all cameras that were sold were made by Kodak. So let me ask, how many of you own a Kodak today? How many of you use film in your camera today? There are a couple of, couple of holders on. You've got like a 30-year-old camera there if you've got one, right? Film is no longer a thing uh, because it got replaced by something else. And Kodak filed for bankruptcy in 2012, and it's since been sold for parts. Let me tell you about another company. This company was called, is called Apple. Now, Apple did not invent the portable digital music player. Other people invented it. But Apple made the first good one in 2001 called the iPod. And the iPod was better than anything before. Suddenly people could have thousands of songs in their pocket and this product took the world by storm. By 2004, it was selling like crazy. In fact, this is an ad, maybe just bring you back to an earlier time. Take my hand and come with me because you look so fine that I really want to make you mine. It was much more fun in 2004, wasn't it? (laughs) Life was good. I don't know about you, everybody I knew owned an iPod. By their peak in 2007, uh, 75% of all music players were iPods. Apple was selling 50 million a year. So here's the question. How many of you have an iPod right now? 
All right, a couple of holders on, all right? Good for you. Again, that's an old product. Because now let's look at the chart. So this is the chart of iPod sales. Invented in 2001, skyrocketed the first three years. And then 2007 through 2010, 50 plus million units a year. But look what happened starting in 2007. Schwunk. They don't even track how many, or they don't report how many sales of iPods they make anymore. Apple doesn't. Uh, iPods are, are basically a dead product. They only still make one. Uh, but no one, no, most people don't carry them anymore. And so Apple filed for bankruptcy in 2000 and... Well, you know this story. Apple is now the most valuable company in the world. And so how is that? How, if the iPod went from 50 million plus units that they don't even track it and report it anymore, how is Apple still the most valuable company? Well, because what replaced the iPod? The iPhone. Way better. See, Apple did something brilliant. They had this cash cow, this product, because not only did the iPod sell 50 million units a year, it was responsible, it was the single most important product for their revenue. They made more money from the iPod than any other product they made. It was almost half of their total revenue came from one product, the iPod. And yet Apple said, we're going to intentionally sacrifice our own product, our our cash cow, the thing that's keeping us afloat, because we think there's something better out there. We think this smartphone concept is actually better than an iPod, and so we're going to actually invent the thing that kills our own product. And we've seen the results. They're valuable and they're worthwhile. Kodak is bankrupt. Now, you might think that's not fair. It's not fair to compare Apple to Kodak, but but here's the thing that's going to blow your mind. Do you know what company invented the digital camera? Kodak. In 1976... They invented it, but they shelved the product on purpose for fear that it would threaten their film photography business. And they were right. But they saw this thing that was a threat, this, this concept that would, that would take their thriving business model and, and w- would put it under pressure, and they said, let's hide from it, let's protect, let's not do anything with it. They, um, they sat on the product, they eventually licensed it out to other people, and the very thing that killed them was the thing they themselves had discovered, but they didn't have the courage to sacrifice their thing that was going well, and now Kodak is dead. Apple willingly sacrificed the thing that was their, their mainstay, their, their best product, and they're thriving and doing better than ever. If we cling to life, if we try to protect the good things, we will die. If we are willing to intentionally sacrifice the good things for something better out there, we can live and even thrive. And I don't think that's just a business principle. I think that applies in every facet of life. And so let's go to the text. This is... um, Apostle John was writing about Jesus in chapter 12, uh, and this, this tension of dying to live is something that we get straight from the words of Jesus himself. And to set the scene for you, Jesus was the most popular speaker in the known world. He was the equivalent of a TED Talk guru that everyone couldn't get enough of his videos, and they watched millions of his videos. Because everywhere he went, he was saying true and profound things in new and innovative ways, and the crowds could not get enough of him. And so he's in Jerusalem, which is a, a cultural hub for the Passover, and th- thousands of people are, are flocking to the city. A lot of religious people, the Jews were there, and they wanted to hear the, the next thing Jesus was going to say, but not just them. Greeks were coming by, and, and the Greeks, in modern terms, these were the people that were spiritual but not religious. 
they even wanted to hear what Jesus had to say because what he was saying was so true and profound and life-changing. And so all of these people gather before Jesus the week of Passover and they just cannot wait to hear the latest TED Talk, the new thing that he's going to say to them. And this is what Jesus says. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. And anyone who hates their life in this world will keep their life for eternity. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. And they said, we're so sorry to bother you. Our bad. You're clearly under a lot of pressure. You just get some time to yourself. We'll go get a falafel. We'll leave you alone. Sorry, Jesus. Right? So it's a weird and a harsh and a paradoxical thing that Jesus is saying. And they didn't know what to make of it. In fact, John goes on to tell us that most people stopped listening to Jesus' TED Talks after that day. They didn't like that. It was weird. It was scary. And it was easier to walk away than to listen to what Jesus was saying. But it matters. And it matters even now today. So let's really unpack this, this thing that Jesus said to them. See, the first thing is, is he started with this natural principle. Just like I started with Apple and Kodak, he started with this farming analogy There's, that a kernel of wheat, unless it dies, can't actually bear fruit. And he's saying, but if it does die, it produces many seeds. What's he talking about? They didn't get it then because they didn't know what was going to happen in five days. We've got 2,000 years of hindsight. We know exactly what he's talking about. He's about to die. Not just die, be tortured to death by the people that purported to follow him and like his wisdom. And he's telling them, I'm going to die, but there's something more powerful that you have to understand about this. That if I die, many seeds will be brought to life. And who's he talking about? But you and me. And everyone listening to him and everyone who's been born since, he's saying, when I die, this is not the end of the story. There is something powerful and beautiful and profound that my death brings many things to life. We were spiritually dead. We were inert and there was no life in us. But through his death, we are now the fruit of Christ's life. And he's brought each and every person that's sitting here, that's listening to this, you have been brought to life through the death of Jesus Christ. And maybe that was all you needed to hear today. You just needed to have this reminder that you are valuable and you are loved enough that God himself was willing to die so that you could live. But Jesus didn't end there. He kept going. And so he said this. He said, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it. See, he said that he's going to die so that we can have life, but but it's not just a specific one-off occurrence for him. In this line, he makes a general principle. Anyone, no matter what, this is just a rule of life that if you you love your life, you'll lose it, and if you hate it, you'll keep it for eternity. 
And so a couple of things to help us get past this. Two things to point out. One, this is a Jewish idiom, so I don't want you to, to misunderstand. He's not saying you actually need to hate your life, like revile it, I'm, I'm disgusting. Um, it, this is a way that they use to say you prioritize one thing over the other. You know, so the picture is if you've got two jobs, you're going to love one boss and hate the other boss. And, and that's not, you know, not saying you're going to hate the boss, but that if the jobs are in conflict or they both want you to work on the same day, you're going to have to pick one. And you're going to say, well, I'm going to choose this job and I'm going to have to tell that boss I can't make it today. Sorry, I'm working the other thing. It's this way of saying you've got to prioritize two things. You can't equally love two things. You've got to, you've got to pick one. And he's saying you can pick this life with all of its comforts and its status quo and everything that you've built up. You can prioritize this, but death and disruption are coming. And if you prioritize this and try to protect this at all costs, it's just a truth of life. You're going to lose it. But if you prioritize this eternal life that Jesus offers us, if you make this the, the higher goal, then you're going to have life for eternity. And so again, just a note, for people that are struggling with their life, this is not saying that your life is not valuable. In fact, your life is so valuable. It's so valuable because God himself died so that you could have it. But it's not the most valuable thing. There's something greater out there. There's something more important and the only way we can get to it, the only way we can find this important thing, this better thing, is by being willing to sacrifice what we have, to die to the things we have for the sake of something greater. And he doesn't just mean a physical death, although he means that too. I, I think there's a reality, and it's why we honor uh, soldiers and heroes and people who sacrifice their lives for others. That, that, that is a true part of this. I think it's also, in some ways, the, the easiest part of this. If I were in a life or death situation, you know, a truck is barreling towards my family, I, I have a feeling that I would just dive in front of the truck and I'd save my family and, and I would, it wouldn't even be a second thought. I, I would sacrifice my physical life to save my wife or my kids. I don't know that I would be willing to sacrifice my need to be right for my, my wife and my kids. That if I had to intentionally lose an argument where I was sure I was right, I don't know that I'd do that. If I had to apologize to my kids for, for yelling at them or not being a good dad in that moment, that, that's a harder thing. I'd, I'd rather jump in front of the truck, frankly. And so if we just see this passage and we just think Jesus is saying, oh yeah, you just got to die, you just got to die, and we think it only means physical life, we are missing the point that every part of us has to be on the chopping block. We've got to be willing to sacrifice the things that we value and love because it's the only way to actually stave off the, the death and the corruption that's coming. But if we do it, there's something greater that will last forever. I believe this is true, and I think we see these principles play out from farming to business. All over, we, we see these principles play out, but it's still so difficult to do because every part of my body, my mind, my psyche is wired to defend itself at any cost. I'm built for self-preservation. I want to keep myself and my things and my values alive, and yet I can't because if I do, I'm just going to lose it anyway. Sociologists talk about it this way. They say that we've got kind of three levels of processing in our brain. That we've got the lizard brain and then our mammal brain and then like our primate brain is the, is the highest order. And the lizard brain, its only job is to keep me breathing and my blood pumping and do the things that keep my body alive. 
And my mammal brain, its only job is to is fight or flight, to defend myself and to do whatever I need to do to preserve myself. And those two parts of the brain are very strong and very powerful. And the only way to get past them is to find this higher thing, to get into this highest level of our brain that can actually integrate and choose the things that matter in life, that can actually weigh consequences and prioritize them. We have to do that in order to be able to trick ourselves or force our body and our mind into dying for the sake of this greater thing. And that's, that's harder to do. We're celebrating today this moment when, when Martin Luther started the process to say that, hey, the, the things that the Catholic Church is teaching are not right. And they've taken this good news of Jesus who died so that we could live and, and they've covered it up with, with self-righteousness and hypocrisy and they've said that the way to live is actually just to be a better person than the people around you and to earn uh, salvation through your own suffering and holiness. And we give him honor because he took this stand that, that most people who said these kinds of things in that time were killed by the Catholic Church. And so we honor him for his bravery, his willingness to sacrifice his life for something greater. But I think what was even harder and more important was not that he risked physical death to say this truth about the good news of Jesus. It's that he had to die to his own identity. See, he'd spent his life being a faithful monk. He dedicated his career, his living. He'd made choice after choice to, to live a certain way. And, and so when he discovered the truth of, of the love and unconditional acceptance of Jesus, it wasn't just good news. It meant that he had to put to death all the things that he had valued, all the choices he had made, all the life decisions and the identity that he had built up over the course of his life. He had to say, take all that and kill it so that he could be a part of this greater thing that's the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we lose how hard that must have been. I know myself, when I'm confronted with an with a area where I've been wrong or where I've made a mistake or I've made a bad choice and someone tells me that, I, my first thought isn't, yay, I'm so glad to be confronted in my wrongness. My first thought is, this is death. This is killing something because I believe there's something greater. Ultimately, what we're talking about here is not physical death, it's just change. The fact that our lives will change. Change is not going away. The one thing you can count on is change. And we react to change either as a threat, as a thing that's taking away and killing the things that we love and value, or we can choose to react to change as something that is a path, a death that leads to a, a, a fuller and better, greater thing in life. So how do we shift that understanding? How do we, how do we change from being someone who resists change and the death of the, of the status quo and as someone who embraces it, well, I think we take a cue from Jesus. See, here's how he described his own death. He didn't say the hour has come for the Son of Man to die, although that is what he is talking about. He uses this very interesting language. He says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, which just means to have something greater, to be made greater. He didn't see his death as the end of something good, although it was. He saw it as the beginning of something greater, that he would be glorified. And I think that's true for us. A good way to maybe think of it is, think about a baby in its mother's womb at the 39th week, you know, week before being born. And if you were to ask that baby, life is pretty good in the womb, right? You, you know, food is just delivered to you. You don't even have to think about it. You don't even have to breathe on your own. Your mom breathes for you. The, the temperature is perfectly controlled. 
Uh, as long as mom doesn't go in a hot tub, don't go in a hot tub. It's an amazing life. It's so easy and every need is met and taken care of without even having to think about it. And if you were to ask a baby, hey, you have to die to this life in the womb so that you can be born to a greater life, one that you're outside and that you're an actual autonomous being with agency and life. I think if you ask that baby, they'd say, I- I'm good. I'll stay in the womb, thanks. It's really great in here. Because it feels like death to lose the, lose the thing that you know that is safe. But there is something greater. There is glory to be found by being willing to put to death the things that are safe and comfortable and reach for the things that are greater and that are out there. So how do we do it? How do we focus on this greater thing? Well, here's, here's what I've learned just in my time wrestling with this, that, that we have this preservation instinct that says, I don't want to be born if I'm in the womb. It says, I don't want to give up things that are valuable. I don't want to sacrifice a product that's keeping our company afloat. We want to preserve at all costs. But if we want to pop it here, that instinct and, and get into this higher brain that lets us choose the greater thing over the good thing, here's what we have to do. We've got to just, first of all, pause. That when you're getting heightened and frustrated uh, in a conflict or in the face of a fear or a threat from the outside, to just stop and, and don't just react reflexively because if, you, if you're in reflect in, um, or instinct, you're in the lizard brain or the mammal brain, I promise you, if you're being reflexive. But if you can just pause and break that cycle and then from there, take the time to observe and say, what's going on? Why, why am I triggered right now? Why am I fearful or angry or upset? What, what is it that's really causing this? And, and, and look it in the face and say, okay, I, I know what you are. And then once you've identified it, from there we can prioritize what is the greater thing? What is the glory that's waiting on the other side of this if I can just get past this thing that's scaring me, that's triggering my preservation instinct? I've bungee jumped. I don't know if any of you have ever done that. And you can go through the safety training. You can strap on like the eight bungee cords that you've got. You can put on the helmet and sign the liability waiver. And you can do all those things. But then there's this moment where you're standing on a bridge... And your body and your mind are screaming at you, if you jump, you'll die. If you jump, you'll die. If you jump, you'll die. And, and there's no manner of, oh, no, it's fine. You have to find a way to break out of this and just stop and say, is that true? If I jump, I'll die. No, I've got eight cords strapped to me. So even if one breaks, I'm going to be all right. And then to prioritize the greater thing. For me, it was that my friends were going to totally make fun of me if I didn't jump. Okay, here goes. So I, I go, right? But, but what about other things? What about like in conflict with, with your spouse? Uh, I got first introduced to this in marriage counseling a couple years into our marriage. And my wife and I were having conflict and we couldn't get past it. And the counselor asked me, Doug, what is it that you want? What, what is the thing that, that you want to have happen? I said, I want her to admit that I am right and she is wrong. And the counselor, she was a, she's an amazing counselor. I love her so much. She wouldn't, stay, she wouldn't let me stay there. She said, no, 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 no. What do you want? So I, I want to be at peace and, and harmony and, and unified with my wife. And she said, yes, that's the greater thing. That's what you want. That's the priority. You want peace and harmony with your wife. Now, what are you willing to sacrifice to get there? What are you willing to let die so you can have this greater goal? And I said, well, we can have the greater goal if she'll just admit that I'm right and she's wrong. And she says, no, you can't do that. You can't make that happen. You can't force someone to do something. You can only sacrifice things in yourself. That's all you have power over. Can you put to death your need to be right? Can you think that you are full on right in an argument and yet still knowingly say, I'm sorry, hon, my bad. Can you? 
I'll be honest, most times I can't. Sometimes I can. And when I do, I see the fruit. I see a a marriage that's filled with harmony and peace and joy. And that's what's waiting for us. Because if we do this, here's what Jesus promises. See, he says, whoever serves me must follow me. And what he means is must, must die, must live this lifestyle that says, I'm willing to sacrifice the things I value for the greater thing. And he says, but if you do it, I'm with you. I'm closer to you than I'll ever be if you are where I am in this life of self-sacrifice and dying to self. And not only that, my father will honor the one who serves me. You see, Apple and, and Simon Sinek and all these people, you don't have to be a Christian to have, to have picked up that there is a cosmic truth. There is a way that the universe is built by God that says that if we sacrifice, greater things will come. But if you also know God, you get the deeper, fuller truth, which is not just that they've, they've kind of accidentally discovered that if you sacrifice, greater things happen, but that Jesus has promised that because this is how the world works, that he made it, he says, if you will follow me, if you'll be where I am, my father will honor you. He won't let that death be in vain. He won't let that sacrifice make you, make you languish in the grave or unfulfillment. God honors it when we die willingly for him, when we prioritize the greater thing, which is the love of God. It's an amazing promise. And just to be clear, he's not talking about eternal life here. Eternal life is earned for us through Jesus' death. Jesus already did the sacrificing and the dying so that we could live. We have it. He's talking about in this life. If you want fruit in this life, if you want a life that's meaningful and impactful in this life, we've got to honor this principle. We've got to be willing to die. And God says he will show up and he will honor us, which means we have a choice. When, when, when change hits us, when, when, when threats abound, when, when things happen that disrupt the status quo and the things we've built, we can respond with one of two prayers. This is how Jesus closed out his speech. When your soul is troubled because death is looming and sacrifice is there, what do you say? You say, Father, spare me from this hour. Father, don't, just keep it away. Just help me to preserve what I've got. Or do we instead pray, Father, glorify your name? Because ultimately, this is the greatest thing that we can be striving for to give glory to God, our Father, who loved us and died for us. And if we do this, amazing things happen. Seeds will be brought to life, not just in our own life, but in the lives of all those around us. You see, people at this congregation have asked, and this is a good question and an important question. They've asked, if we're already, as the name St. John, the 84th fastest growing church in the country, why do we need to change anything? And my answer is because we're Kodak in 1976 with 90% market share, but just a couple decades away from extinction because they weren't willing to die for the greater thing, digital photography. Or we're heirs of Martin Luther. And when we talk about, I'm so proud to be Lutheran guys, but being Lutheran does not mean a particular name or a particular set of hymns. What it means is our denomination was founded by a guy who willingly put to death the things he valued so that the good news of Jesus could go to the whole world. And he said, I love these Latin hymns we've been singing, but the people don't get it. And so you know what? We're going to take bar tunes and we're going to put new words to them so that people know the love of God. And if we are heirs of that tradition, that doesn't mean that we then keep singing the same hymns that Martin Luther sang, although a couple of them are pretty good. We sang one of them today. But it means that we keep making the same decision, the choice to die, 
to the things that we value, we trust in, so that many seeds could come to life. So that the greatest thing, glory and honor to God, could happen. And if we walk in that tradition, if we follow in the footsteps of Martin Luther, if we sacrifice the things we value, then the God who died so that we could have life will continue to bring us to life in a fuller and more abundant way. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I give you thanks that you did not demand of us that we be perfect, but that you died so that we could live. And you invited us into this truth that if we will follow you and be where you are in sacrifice and suffering and death, that you will bring fuller life to us in ways that we could never dream or hope for. And so Lord, I hold you to your promise. And I ask you in the power of your name to come to every person here, that if they willingly sacrifice and die the things that we value, the things that make us safe and comfortable, that you will honor that sacrifice by new life in our lives and giving us greater impact, meaning, and abundance. Lord, we pray all this in your holy and powerful name. Amen.